Hey, everyone. This is Matt Dixon, Chief Research and Innovation Officer at Tether. And I'm going to be joined here in a moment by my colleague, Ted McKenna. Before we get going, I did want to uh, give a special thanks and a special shout out to Challenger Inc. Uh, We're going to be talking in this episode about the research that went into the effortless experience. Now, that IP, that brand name, and that book is actually owned by a company called Challenger Inc. And if you're looking for a trusted advisor, a transformation shop, a consulting firm, a training firm that can help you, your organization, your agents actually reduce customer effort in service interactions, they are definitely the people to call. So thank you to Challenger Inc. And with that, uh, Ted, uh, why don't you say hello? Hey, everyone. Uh, Ted McKenna here, SVP of Research and Innovation, and excited to, uh, to dive into some of the original research here. And uh, thanks for joining us for um, our first full episode. I guess this is episode two. We had an intro um, in our first episode. We gave everyone a little bit of the occasion for this podcast series, talked a little bit about uh, the plan, what we're going to cover, who it's for, uh, what folks can expect to get out of it. And as you remember, we mentioned in the in the first episode of this series, uh, Customer Effort Through an AI Lens, uh, we talked about how our jumping off point is really going to be the original research around the effortless experience, the research that went into the customer effort score, at the idea of effort reduction, et cetera. And we're going to do a little bit of kind of getting everyone caught up as uh, Ted, I've used a, a 1960s uh, Batman reference when I said, get everyone caught up with where we left our Cape Crusaders. <laughs> um, and so we're going to, we're going to do that here over the next two episodes. I'm going to share a little bit more than what's in the book, I think, because there's some cutting room floor material and some story behind the story that I think even close readers of the book will find pretty valuable. So this is the same bat channel then? Is that same bat channel? Yeah, same. Okay. I don't know if it's the same bat time. It is a podcast. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and actually, if this was like a Netflix series, this would be the flashback episode. We're going to that's right. That's right. We're going to flashback right. <laughs> here to uh, call it 2808 or 29. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So take us back there, Matt, because I know the team at the time at Corporate Executive Board, CEB, which is now part of Gartner, you guys had been studying customer contact centers, customer mm-hmm. experience for a while. Give us a sense for you know what was the intention with the original research, and since since I know it's probably going to come up, I'll just I'll just run right at it. We all know you're about to tell us the Joshi the giraffe story, so <laughs> oh, oh wait, I, I'll get to it. Don't okay. worry. <laughs> okay, all right. So yeah, well, no, yeah, just give us a reminder on kind of what was it, and then and then where I think we can go with this also is you know why is this if it is still relevant today? What what are some of yeah. the issues? But let's start with kind of what were you guys intending, and then what did you find? Yeah, absolutely. It may take even a one step farther back than that, which is uh, just give everyone a little bit of context. The company Ted's talking about where Ted and I both worked actually as research leaders in the sales marketing customer experience practice. The company was called Corporate Executive Board, now CEB. It was acquired by Gardner Group in 2017. But think of CEB as sort of a for-profit think tank. So what, what Ted and I were responsible for was leading research teams in different functional areas like contact center, customer experience, sales, marketing, et cetera, and uh, selling that research on a subscription basis to companies around the world. Now, the way our model worked is that we actually went out to our clients and we surveyed them every single year. We used to call this our agenda poll, Ted, you remember it fondly, I'm sure. Oh, sure. And uh, we would ask our clients, you know, what are the big issues that, you know, hey, if you had a, a dozen researchers at your disposal, what are the big questions that you're wrestling with that you would like to deploy those researchers against? And so the goal of the agenda poll was always to um, kind of keep a finger on the pulse of the membership and to make sure that we were deploying our scarce research time against those topics and issues that our members, uh, as we call them, would find uh, most value in, and that would deliver the greatest return to them. So if I think back to 
I would say it was really around 2007, 2008 is, is when we started putting on the, the research agenda poll, the topic of customer, this, and this is in the contact center practice in particular, which is where this research was born. Um, we served at the time, I think, about three or 400 heads of contact centers of customer service from companies around the world, business to business and business uh, to consumer. And again, it was a global membership, primarily North America, probably about uh, 60% North America, but we had a good representation globally as well. And the topic that started to kind of creep up the charts, uh, like a um, cult single or something that only a few people were interested in, and then the next year it got more votes, and the next year was the, the number one vote getter, was this topic of exploring customer services impact on customer loyalty. And I think we started, I think we started serving around that uh, on that topic, probably 06, 07. It was around uh, 08, 09 when it started cracking the top 10, and we decided to actually put some meaningful research muscle against it. And so to your question, uh, Ted, you know, what was the context and why do I think it was, you know, it was this the single that kept climbing the charts or this topic that kept uh, climbing the charts. You know, that was, if we think back for those of us who were in management or leadership positions with companies at the time, you know, that was right around the time where the business world was really abuzz with this whole notion of customer loyalty. You know, net promoter score was really taking hold across management teams. And a lot of the research had come out around how much more uh, economically efficient it is for businesses to retain a customer and grow those customer relationships than actually acquire a net new customer. And so there was a lot of time and energy being spent and a lot of research and a lot of focus from senior leaders, meaning CEOs, CFOs, COOs, on what can our company do to stop uh, churn, uh, to plug a hole in the bottom Fix of the that loyalty leaky bucket. bucket yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, you know, eventually that bright spotlight went to product, it went to marketing, it went to sales, it went to all these different corners of the enterprise. And eventually customer service kind of got its moment in the spotlight where senior leaders were starting to ask these pretty tough questions, which is, you know, hey, when we look, when we look at the data and we try to understand why people leave our business, a lot of them cite bad customer service interactions as the reason that they stopped doing business with us, the reason they stopped buying from us, the reason they turned down that last offer, the reason they, you know, went on social media and badmouthed us. But it's it's the reason they're no longer customers. So what can we do in the service channel to uh, to help us advance loyalty? And even more importantly, you know, are there things we can do to to generate more positive loyalty, right? So that this was kind of the question that again started creeping up the charts. Um, from an agenda poll perspective, you know it's interesting because that time frame, oh eight, oh nine. I'm probably getting this wrong, and I did not uh, look this up prior. That feels like kind of the dawn of social media as well, yeah. and so that notion of bad word of mouth probably was was even sort of more of a burning question then. Obviously, quite still relevant now, but but that bad word of mouth was probably even on the minds of these service executives who you have one bad service experience before. That's regrettable. You lose one customer, fine. But this amplifier effect yeah. of social media, I have to imagine, was a big part of it too. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, there was a study we had done um, a couple of years prior to that where we actually looked at that very question, which is how do you actually model out or as a business think about not just the people who called you to complain or called and had a problem, but think about kind of, if you will, quote unquote, the silent majority of customers out there who didn't actually pick up the phone and call or didn't actually call to lodge a complaint or send that email. So think about the people who called the people to complain, the people who didn't call but had the same complaint. That now think about all the people they told 
And what's the ripple effect yeah. on your brand, right? And so it's it's I can't remember the actual numbers, but it's eye popping, right? It's these are big numbers, and the number of actual complaints we get in the call center is is really the tip of the iceberg there. So it was right around the the financial crisis too. So I think that put even more pressure on businesses to think about retention. You know, this is a tough sure. time. Yeah. People leaving for a lot of cost driven, you know, better offers from other companies. Uh, financial hardship uh, was quite widespread, just like it, it has been for the past year in the pandemic. And so I think it, this was a time where people were really focused on that that question of retention and loyalty. Got it. Yeah. So then is this the time when we start to hear about Joshi? Yeah, I know you're waiting for it. <laughs> so, all right. Ted loves this story. Okay. So this, I think to set this up, to be honest, I know there's there are a lot of folks um, listening to this episode who uh, who know the Joshi the draft story. So um, uh, shed a tear, laugh when I get to the punchline. But um, the to set this up, I think there is this question. Ted, you'll you'll remember this when we were at CEB, um, we prided ourselves on what we would call uh, disagreement research, and and it was partly because we were kind of uh, cantankerous skeptics, I think, at heart as a you know as researchers. And speak for you know, yourself. Uh, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I was, and maybe I just had a bad effect on the people I worked with. Uh, but I I think what what I mean by that is that we always looked at the conventional wisdom in any area, whether it was customer service customer experience, marketing, sales, you know, HR, finance, it didn't matter. We always looked at the conventional wisdom with, um, took it with a grain of salt, right? We always looked at it a little bit skeptically. And a, a lot of our research was designed to go out and find out what do people think? So take that topic we were just talking about. What is customer services impact on customer loyalty? And our goal was to understand, A, document that. What do people believe the linkage is? How does the, you know, which way does the causality arrow point? What is the dynamic uh, in the relationship between those things, between the way customer service happens and whether customers are loyal to your business or not? And then to go out and test some of that conventional wisdom with data. And what we often found and why we called it disagreement research is, you know, we were often in the position of, of actually showing our clients, you know, these are people who had done this job for a very long time. And in some cases, you know, 20, 30 years at their companies, they'd been wearing the head of customer service hat uh, or, or bearing that title and that set of responsibilities. And we were often in the position of showing them, you know, if the emperor has no clothes, that the conventional wisdom is actually wrong. We didn't always find that, but uh, but we found it. It was, you know, it proved to be really eye-opening and sometimes it was tough news to deliver, right? But if I think back, and uh, in, this is sort of my setup for the, the Joshi story, our first job when we went out to study this is always to document what is the conventional wisdom as it pertains to this topic. So again, we're talking about the relationship between customer service and loyalty. And the conventional wisdom here uh, is this, that when customers reach out to us with problems, uh, you know, they pick up the phone, they call the call center, or in today's modern age, maybe they they chat with us or they SMS us as an SMS message, or they they contact us through Facebook Messenger or through a you know case management system, they open a ticket, et cetera. But when they reach out to the company with a problem, the conventional wisdom was this. It's not enough to fix the customer's problem. You got to do more than that. You're, you got to overwhelm the customer. You've got to delight them. You've got to surprise them. You've got to wow them. That you know, Fixing the customer's problem, doing what they expect, that's just table stakes. Everybody does that, the conventional wisdom goes. What we need to be known for and what will earn us the customer's loyalty, what will actually build a moat around the customer that makes it really hard for our competitors to steal that customer's business is when we can go above and beyond. When that customer gets off that phone call or that chat interaction and they say, wow, I am just bowled over. Not just the company, the company didn't just solve my problem, but they went the extra mile. They really blew me away with amazing service and amazing experience. And the belief is 
that that is what uh, companies should do. And so when so I deliver those wow moments and yeah. then they go tell all their friends about exactly. how great it was. Yeah. Not only do they stay and they want to buy, keep buying and buy more of your stuff, and but they also do exactly that, right? They get on social media or they, you know, they lean across the fence and tell their neighbor, hey, you know what? I had a great experience yep. with this company. And these I, are the yeah, these are the stories we're all used to hearing at of course. you know off sites and yeah. you know uh, you know big you know team meetings is the uh, those moments right yeah. where you've made the customer so happy that they, and they give these glowing reviews glowing you know it makes sense you'd want to celebrate those happy that, that's right it feels good but it makes for a great press release <laughs> or a great sure. you know, a great video rally you know rally the troops get people excited yeah and, marketing loves them for sure absolutely absolutely and by the way it, it's sort of feels like common sense at some level, right? If you do more than your competitors when it comes to solving customer problems, if you go that extra mile, your customers are going to love on you and they're going to want to stay with you and they're going to say great things about you. And it just, it seems to make perfect sense. And I'll tell you, when I get up and present um, the effortless experience, I, I kind of want to give people a feel for what is an example of that? What is that kind of service experience we all aspire to? We may not be in this business, but this is kind of the gold standard. And, and I call it the Joshi the Draft story. This is actually a true story. It's a story of a, a family uh, that had a young five-year-old son, or he might've been even younger than like four-year-old a boy uh, named Timmy. Uh, the family's last name was uh, the Herds. Uh, so Timmy Herd. And uh, the family had gone on a vacation in Florida to the Ritz-Carlton Amelia Island Plantation Resort or something like that. It was a really beautiful um, resort. They went and had a great time as a family. Uh, we all know uh, this how the story is going to unfold, by the way, because we've all been in this story before. Uh, when they got home, they are Florida residents, and they made the long drive home back to their, their house, and they got there, and uh, they realized that Timmy had lost his prized possession, best friend in the world, uh, which was this stuffed giraffe that he had named Joshi. And, and we all, like our kids all have the stuffed animals, those little, you know, the blankets, whatever it is that they they bring with them everywhere. And, and so Joshi was was Timmy's, you know, sidekick. He was with him everywhere, attached to his hip, always in his hand from when he was a very young boy, and this was still kind of his prized possession as a, you know, 4-year-old boy. And so, uh, when the family got home, they realized that Joshi the giraffe was gone, as you can imagine. Uh Timmy had a um as I like to say, a uh you pick your descriptor, but it's either a uh Defcon 1, uh Stage 5 or Galactic kind of meltdown, but we all seen this movie before, right? Uh the, he's apoplectic completely inconsolable, you know, in hysterics, you know, absolutely sobbing. And so, you know, in this moment, uh, as I tell the story, um, sometimes parents do things they're not particularly uh, proud of, or maybe they, they later regret. And, and the mistake that uh, Mr. Hurd made in this moment was that he was so desperate to get his son to stop uh, crying and to calm down that he said, no, 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 Timmy, you're misunderstanding the whole situation here. It's not that Joshi is lost. It's that we told Joshi he could stay back at the Ritz-Carlton at Amelia Island for a few more days of rest and relaxation. So he's there having a bit of an extended vacation. You know, it's tough being Josh. He gets dragged around to like gas station bathrooms. He gets dropped on the floor all the time. He gets stepped on, you know, he has to go through the washing machine. Like it's he needs tough. Some, right? He needs some R&R. He needs some more. He needs some Joshy time. So, so don't <laughs> worry to me. We left him back at the hotel. Everything is fine. He, that, Probably not a great thing to say because one, your your four-year-old son definitely is going to believe that. And he did believe it. So he stopped crying. He said, are you sure, dad? He's going to come back. Yes, yes. Don't worry. You know, mom takes him up to bed, reads him a story. He goes to sleep. You know, Mrs. Hurd comes down and says, why in God's name did you tell him that? Because we're really hosed now. We got to figure out what we're going to do. And so they go to out to the minivan and they start looking underneath the car seats and they, they're retracing their steps. They're calling some of the rest stops that they stopped at to see if there's a stuffed giraffe in the lost and found, so on and so forth. 
Um, they check in Joshy's credit card receipts just to <laughs> they, see if he's. Uh... <laughs> you, well, you, you know, honestly, like it, it, I think a great invention. And by the way, anybody listening to this podcast who who does come up with this, Ted Nutter claiming royalties on this, but a LoJack system for prize possessions for kids, I think would be br- brilliant, right? You have oh, to find my iPhone, uh, sure. like. Yeah. Well, like now the like, Apple's got those air tags, so maybe that's the uh, sticking air brilliant. tag on the next. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know how it'd handle the washing machine, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so, so I right before they're about to, you know, they started thinking through like we can't find this thing anywhere. It, it is actually lost, and so they start thinking through how they're going to explain it to Timmy. And then Mister Hurd's uh, cell phone rings, and he picks it up, and it's the hotel manager at the Ritz Carlton who says. Uh, Mr. Hurd, this is the hotel manager at the Ritz-Carlton uh, Amelia Island, and I wanted to reach out to the cell phone I have on file for you, but I want to let you know that our housekeeping staff found something in the room that doesn't belong to us. I'm pretty sure it belongs to you. It looks like a stuffed animal of some sort. And Mr. Hurd is just like, you could imagine like his shoulders relaxed. He's like, you have just saved my life with my son. Um, he goes, that is Joshy. That's my son's best friend, his prized possession. Thank you so much for finding it and for you know going out of your way to call us back. It's so kind of you. Uh, and then he then he said and the hotel manager says, "Yeah, of course, no problem. I know how I have kids of my own. I know how they can be with their stuffed animals and their their prized possessions." And then Mister Hurt says, "Yeah, if you can believe it, I actually told them that Joshy was spending a few more days of R and R at the Ritz Carlton. So even better that it's going to show up in a Ritz Carlton envelope, right?" And and so they have a laugh, and um, the hotel manager confirms uh, Mister Hurt's address. Uh, says we'll get it back to you right away. Tell your son not to worry. So that's I don't, know, that's, I don't know if you know that book, Nuffle Bunny, but this feels like a sequel to Nuffle Bunny. <laughs> I do. I think I've read that one to my kids. Yeah. Let, let me get to the punchline, but I'll tell you something I think is kind of interesting about this. And it goes to your point about this makes a great press release. So here's the thing: if we hit stop in the on the story or we hit pause, and I know we got a lot of folks on the line who are in contact center leadership jobs, you know, QA jobs, supervisory jobs, um, customer experience leadership. We have, we have folks from across the enterprise listening to this, but we have a lot of folks who are in the role of working with customers and resolving problems. And if we think about it for a moment, now we may not all be hotel managers at a Ritz-Carlton, but think about it for a moment. What would you have done uh, in that moment? And I, I often will, when I'm presenting this, I'll ask the audience and people will say, well, I would send it back to them. And somebody says, no, 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 I'd send it overnight, you know, UPS or FedEx, like that's, it belongs to a very upset little boy. You want to get there as fast as possible. That would be a great thing to do, an extra touch. But this is the moment where the hotel, and there's, that's kind of what normal people would do, right? This, but this is the moment, this is the risk Carlton. It's not a normal organization in, in that respect, especially from a customer experience standpoint. So this is where the hotel manager decided to go for the moment of wow. And so what he did was he told his staff, because he knew, that Joshi is purportedly on having an extended vacation at the at the resort. So he tells his staff to take the stuffed animal around the resort and they pose him in a vi- variety of locations. And when I show this, it doesn't have the same effect on the podcast, I'm realizing, because there's a great laugh line when I show this slide, but it shows um, this stuffed animal on the massage table with like the cucumber slices over his eyes. You've got, he's in a golf cart in this other picture, another one he's lounging by the pool, another one he's surrounded by a stuffed dolphin and a stuffed monkey and making some friends. And, you know, so they took all these pictures of Joshi having a great vacation. They put it into an, a Ritz-Carlton photo album, put the photo album, of course, put Joshi in the box and a whole bunch of swag for the kids, like some bathrobes and beach towels and a Frisbee and stuff like that. And they send it to the Herd family. Now, you can imagine that when they opened that, they were just like blown away. They're like, oh my goodness, not only did we find Joshi, but you have actually 
helped me demonstrate to my son that in fact I did was not a huge liar <laughs> that he actually was having a great time, right? So so that and Josh and Josh he looks so relaxed. Oh well, yes, yeah, yeah, he's tanned, he's you know, very very relaxed, <laughs> you know, after that massage. Now here's the, the reason I tell the story. One is it's a great example of what we want our people doing. Okay, again, I, we don't all manage hotels for a living, but we want our people going the extra mile, going above and beyond in generating that kind of reaction. Now, the, the second reason I tell it in the, the point of the story and the connection of the research is that this story, uh, and the Rich Carlton didn't plan on this, but Mr. Hurt actually wrote a blog post, which is, again, you can find it online, about this experience. And he writes about this tremendous experience. And really, the point of the blog post was all about what it means for a business to earn a customer's loyalty for life. There, I think, is a line in there that says, Mr. Hurd pledges that he and his family will never stay anywhere other than a Ritz-Carlton property. And I'm thinking, like, how do I get into the Hurd family, right? Like, that sounds like <laughs> a pretty good gig. Um, but he, so he sends us out. And my research team uh, caught wind of this because, again, we worked with three or 400 heads of customer service organizations. And remember, background, this was right around the time that the eyes of the organization were turning towards the contact center and starting to ask questions like, what can we do? to help make our customers more loyal when they reach out to us for help. So this blog post started getting circulated to our clients, the, the our members, the heads of customer service at big companies around the world. And oftentimes, I, I saw a few of these were forwarded to me by a head of customer service uh, from a, from big companies. And, you know, it would start with an email from the CEO or maybe from a, a, an investor or a friend or a board director saying, hey, I, I heard about this and I read the blog post. Sounds pretty cool. I'm passing it on to you. Uh, in case it might spark some thinking in your part. CEO reads it and passes it on to the head of operations or the chief marketing officer, whoever oversees the contact center. That person then forwards on to the contact center and the thread gets progressively more pointed and nasty as it gets <laughs> down the line. And it eventually shows up in the head of the contact center's inbox and it says something like, hey, I found this really interesting. Out of curiosity, how come people never blog about our customer service? I mean, they do, but they use a lot of foul language to describe it and you know, four-letter words and stuff. And so our clients, our members uh, at CEB started reaching out to us and say, hey, pressure's on. Like Our company wants to know, what are we going to do to help advance the ball when it comes to customer loyalty? And so what's interesting, I think you may not, people may not be familiar with that Joshi story, but um, every time I tell it, to an audience, somebody emails me another example of almost the identical story. So you can look this up online, but stuffed animal gets left at um, you know TSA checkpoint uh, in the airport, gets left behind as the family goes to Europe or whatever. And so the TSA team deputizes the stuffed bear and spends a week with them and they treat them like family and you know all these things and they take pictures and all this stuff. So it makes for a great press release and it becomes this thing that not only do people want to replicate, but they literally want to copy it. They start doing it themselves. So there are lots well, and, of- And fast forward to today, that hotel yeah. manager is now CEO oh, yeah. of Ritz Carlton. <laughs> Probably, just, yeah. Just kidding, just kidding. Yeah. So it's it's stuff that people aspire to, right? And you know what's interesting is if you think about the story it draws a good laugh. It's some people think it's a bit of a tearjerker. I always have to say now, keep in mind, I'm going to tell you in about five minutes that you shouldn't be doing this, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a cool story. But it's a really good encapsulation of the way people think about the relationship between service, uh, delivery of service, and a customer's eventual loyalty. That when we go above and beyond, we really generate that loyalty. In fact, again, we don't generate a lot of loyalty by simply doing what the customer asks us to do. We got to do way more than that. And when we do that, we make it really hard for our competitors to steal that customer. We make it impossible for that customer to say no when we come to them with an upsell or cross-sell offer. And we make that customer want to go out and sing our praises on social media and just 
you know, friends, family, coworkers, et cetera. And I often ask in, especially in audiences of a, of customer facing teams. So customer service organizations, CX leaders, et cetera, you know, cause sometimes people think well, we don't really subscribe to that. We don't tell our people to do that. And I often ask them, do you have a wall of fame in your contact center? And people kind of look at me quizzically and I say, you know, that bulletin board where you pin up the thank you notes that people have written to your contact center agents or the, the letters they've written to your CEO or to your board directors, those great Facebook posts or tweets singing your praises and thanking the rep or thanking your company for going above and beyond and coming through in a moment of need to, for, you know, if you will, pardon the expression, but like diving on the gray, grenade or making the saving catch. And everyone kind of nods and says, yeah, we do. And do you celebrate those moments when that rep gets that, that letter or when the CEO gets a thank you note from a customer and the CEO walks out of the call center and, you know, hauls that rep up in front of the whole team and, and gives them a, you know, an award or, or thanks them or sends a memo out. To them. And they say, yeah, we do celebrate that. And so then you stop and think about it and you realize we all celebrate this. It's woven into who we are as business leaders. And, and again, as we talked about before, it makes perfect sense, right? What could be wrong with that? Uh, doing more than what your customer expects. Uh, it feels good. Your people love those stories. Your customers love those stories. It just seems to make perfect sense, right? Yeah, it's so enticing, right? That customer yeah. calls in with something broken. You flip the script and make them an advocate or a fan. That's right. And, and of course, and we've all had those experiences from time to time. And yeah, it does feel pretty good, right? So that was the, the background uh, to the research. And you know, you would ask as well, and then we can uh, talk about this a little bit as we come into the, the closing moments here of this, right. uh, this episode. Next episode, of course, we're going to talk about what we found. And as you can imagine, and as I just said before, what we found was almost exactly the opposite. And I'm going to break that down for you and we're going to talk about that. But you did ask a question about uh, the relevance today. And I, I would say that I, I think in some ways, there's even more focus on loyalty and on retention and on growing existing customers. The body of research around you know, the economic benefits for a business of retention and growth of the existing customer base versus acquiring net new customers. And it's like a mountain of research around this. If net promoter score is really starting to take off back yeah. when we started the research, it's fully ingrained. That in just this loyalty building mindset is fully ingrained in the way that companies operate now. Yeah, not only I think, yeah, you're right. Like NPS is it's not just not going away. It's if anything, it's probably growing. Yeah. And you know, think about how many people are comped on making sure that they're ending up at kind of the, the top end of the the NPS spectrum, the promoter, yep. like what promoter signals and, and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, and then social media is just what 50 times more prevalent now than, mm -hmm. than it was then. So word of mouth becomes even more important, which I think, again, makes it even more interesting when you do conclude that actually the bottom end of the spectrum is the place to focus because it does so much more damage uh, than anything else. But we are yeah. getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, we yeah. will cover that in more in detail in the next episode. I think it's really just interesting and useful to kind of revisit that because it does take us back to, you know, why why is it so much about disloyalty versus loyalty and mm -hmm. what does that do for us as an organization? We have to keep fighting that instinct to to you know go after those wild moments. Doesn't mean those things are bad. It doesn't mean that we don't we don't seek those in any uh, setting. And in fact, we're gonna talk about that in a future episode too, and sort of dive mm -hmm. deep into, you know, why does delight still matter in some cases, but but the more important thing is to think about how do we find ways to reduce effort overall. Um, and how does that help us uh, help us on a more regular basis? Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, as, as you're talking to, I was just thinking about 
other signs, like you, you mentioned a couple, um, you, you, I mentioned the, the growing body of research around retention and its economic benefits to a business. You talked about social media and its ability to influence perception. You think about anything we buy, right? If it's 100% true. 10 years ago, we were all like this. I don't think we did quite as much a collection of, of peer reviews and understanding the experience of other customers. And, and what do other people say about these products compared to what we do today? There's just tons of information out there to, to collect uh, in social media and otherwise around other customers' experiences with different products and services that can help inform your own decision. But you know, the other thing I'm thinking about is like other indicators that this is maybe even more important. Look at jobs and industries that have grown up literally over the past 10 years. So you take yeah. some of the big, you know, customer experience software vendors. I look at a Qualtrics, for instance, you know, huge company, huge global company, the leader in experience management software out there, you know, go back to when we started this research. I don't believe the company actually existed back then. And and now, not only that company, but many competitors as well, right? That are selling companies solutions designed to help those companies find those, what they call experience gaps. Like what is going wrong in the experience Yeah, the, to the good and to the bad? What's going well? What's going wrong? How do we fix the things that are broken? How do we do more of the things that are really- well, How about this? Bad? On the consumer side, did the app store even exist yet? I, right. I mean, I like think, so, think yeah. about all the apps and all the on the consumer side and just how easy it is to switch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's literally the next logo over on your phone or the next yeah. tab over on your browser. Yeah. And last thing I'll mention here is if I think back to that research, we started it, as I mentioned, in our contact center practice at CB. We actually didn't even have a customer experience practice. We didn't launch that for a few years after this research was started. And you think about it today that job of chief customer officer, of VP of customer experience or director of customer experience is very widespread, right? Somebody whose job it is to to work across the silos and work across the customer touch points Mm -hmm. and across the journey simply didn't exist um, less than a decade ago. So again, even more focus on this. I I think you're right. It's, It's always good to go back and provide that that background. But I think also to do the gut check, like, does it still matter? And I would say Mm -hmm. not only does it, but it matters with like a, a big exponent next to it, even more than it used to. Yeah. Well, cool. Thanks, sir, for that uh, taking us. The flashback episode has now concluded and we can look forward. So where we're going to go next is we're going to dive into what what the research did tell us in terms of what does work. Uh, And again, just like with this one, we'll try to bring a sort of a 2021 approach to it as well. So why do these things still seem to work? And we're also going to cover the business case behind this. So what we continue to find is that reducing effort actually does really good things for both bottom and top line for our organizations. We'll cover that as well. Great. Looking forward to it and see everyone on the next episode.